0: Hey, sorry I'm late. Welcome to the Make America Garrett Again podcast, your cure for the mainstream media. This show is your safe space to talk about persuasion, politics, and the effect they have on your life and liberty. I know I've got a few new listeners this week, and the number one thing that you need to know about this show is everything, every position we take here is dictated by our three guiding principles, peace, property rights, and free markets. Everything. Goes back to those. Those tell us what positions to take, basically, and what we think about those things, because those are what are most important to us as listeners. This past week, I had the pleasure of being interviewed on the Call Me Ignorant show. It was live on YouTube, and um, it's also been put on Podbean afterward. If you want to go look that up, you can find it. I'll try to remember to put a link to that in the show notes. I've also got a copy of that, so I'm probably going to put it on my feed as well at some point. But go do Stephen a favor. Go go give him some clicks. Go show him some love. Really appreciate him having me on. We had a great discussion. We got to talk about just some of my philosophy, some of my origin, where the inspiration for this show came from. We talked a lot about debt. Uh, We obviously we talked about Trump, and uh, we talked about persuasion and how that factors into what we do on this show. And once again, if you're coming from his audience, thank you so much for listening. And thank you for coming over here and checking us out here. So, I missed last episode. I was going to talk about Jeffrey Epstein. I was going to talk about guns and uh, just had several things come up. And it wasn't possible to get the show recorded in time. I was going to release it a little bit late. And then I got sick and uh, just decided it would be best if we waited until the next Monday rolled around to get this out of here. So, I got to look in, I took some notes. And we're not going to be able to cover guns this episode. I'll probably do those next episode unless something else kind of comes up. But it's always a hot topic. So if we don't do it now, if we don't do it next week, we're going to cover it, I promise, because that's one topic that is constantly recurring in the news. So today's show is going to be centered around Jeffrey Epstein. I had several people write in and ask me. They said, man, you've got to do a show on Epstein. I've got to hear what you can dig up on him. And uh, I said, definitely. I said that I would. And now, um, just because I'm running a few weeks behind, a lot of other people have already done shows and stuff like that. But I wanted to do what I could to take the best of everything that I've been able to take in and uh, just to lay those out for you. And I will tell you up front, while I am entertained by conspiracy theories, while I love a good conspiracy theory, this is not a conspiracy theory podcast. We try to do everything here based in facts or at least uh, based on information and trends that we know of Um, so it's not to say we never speculate but this is not going to be the place where I'm going to tell you uh, you know that Hillary Clinton snuck into his cell uh, with a fake mustache and did it herself I'm not going to tell you that on this episode there are a couple other episodes that are great for that kind of stuff but for me here that's just not my avenue that I'm going to take but what I do want to do is instead of just centering everything around his death and the conspiracy that lies there. I want to talk about what led up to that. I want to talk about what created Jeffrey Epstein and uh, what his past was and kind of how he got to where he was. And then we'll, we'll wrap up and we will talk about his death because obviously that's where the story ends for him. I listened to a handful of podcasts about Jeffrey Epstein. I did a lot of reading. And honestly, I'm going to cheat a little bit here. I am going to use the Wikipedia article as my basic outline. They did a pretty good job at setting up his career uh, in a a timeline. And so we're just going to kind of go down. I'm going to go through that. uh, If you are the type of person who likes to look something up and follow along, that's where I'm going to be basing a lot of this out of. And I'll be inserting other information as we go so that I can just fill in that picture a little bit more. And we know a little more about who he was and where he came from. Jeffrey Epstein started out with fairly modest beginnings, But he did show signs of being a very intelligent kid. He graduated high school at age 16 because he had skipped two grades. Uh, He attended a little bit of college, but he didn't graduate. And then five years out of high school, when he was 20 or 21 years old, he eventually got a job as a math and physics teacher at a private school in Manhattan. Back in those days, you did not have to have a teaching degree to teach at a private school. I don't know if it's still like that or not, but the headmaster at that school was Donald Barr. He is William Barr's father. Bill Barr is the current attorney general for the U.S. He works for Trump. Now, there's some debate as to whether or not Donald Barr directly hired him. Some people said he did. Some people said he didn't. Uh, We don't know for sure. There was a Huffington Post article that interviewed some of his former students. They said that Epstein was very energetic and he wore very flamboyant coats and outfits. Some kids said they liked him while others called him a creep. I didn't see any direct accusations of any kind of mis- sexual misconduct here, but the HuffPo article mentioned that the 70s were a promiscuous time and that relationships between teachers and students were considered eyebrow raising, but not considered to be abuse as they are today. Once more, there weren't any statements from students there that suggested that he had done anything inappropriate with anyone, but the author of that article did go out of the way to kind of insinuate that. So, I honestly can't tell you whether there's any evidence there of any wrongdoing or if they just wanted to stick something in there just to kind of spice it up a little bit and add a little bit of scandal. Here is where it seems to get a little bit weird. After two years, Epstein leaves the school. Uh, I've seen some places that the board asked him to resign, but I couldn't find a reason why, and I couldn't confirm that that was true. So one way or the other, where it's voluntary or not, he leaves and he goes to Bear Stearns Bank to be an assistant to a floor trader. He moved up the ranks very quickly there, and within a few years, he was advising some of the bank's wealthiest partners. In 1980, only four years after he joined the company, he became a limited partner with that company. So very, very quickly, he was able to move up. And um, a year after he became a limited partner, he was asked to leave the company due to some sort of policy violation, but nobody seems to know for sure what that was. Whatever it was, he still kept a good relationship with the company and its leadership, and he was still a client of theirs until they closed up shop in 2008. When the Great Recession hit, uh, they finally had to close their doors. So uh, at that point, they were closed, but he was still in good with them up until that point. So, 1981, he leaves Bear Stearns, and he forms his own consulting firm. Nobody knows for sure what he did here, but it does seem that whatever he did, he was very successful. He told his friends that he was a bounty hunter who retrieved funds for very wealthy clients, and also for some foreign governments. He said he recovered embezzled funds, and other times he said he worked for people who had taken control of embezzled funds themselves. Uh, Sometimes he said he was an intelligence agent, but nobody knew for sure if he was joking, if he was lying, or if he was just telling the truth. In the 1980s, he had a false passport with his picture and a fake name, and the passport said he was from Saudi Arabia. Uh, We'll talk about that a little bit more later. And he had also worked with Adnan Khashoggi, who was the middleman between Israel and Iran during the Iran-Contra scandal. And he was also involved with several other defense contractors. So um, a lot of generalities here, but not a lot of details. Fast forward a few years to the late 80s, and he latched on to billionaire Leslie Wexner. Uh, You probably know Leslie Wexner as the guy who owns Victoria's Secret, Bath & Body Works, L Brands, several other clothing brands. Epstein quickly became Wexner's right-hand man which several other executives noted was kind of odd because Epstein had seemingly come out of nowhere. And before long, Wexner actually gave Epstein power of attorney, which meant Epstein could legally hire people, sign checks, buy and sell property, borrow money, and pretty much anything else of legal nature on Wexner's behalf. So obviously you don't give somebody those kind of privileges to do those kind of things in your name unless you really trust them and unless you really think highly of them. Uh, He worked for Wexner at least into the mid-90s, and he was employed by Wexner himself and not by Victoria's Secret or L Brands or any of those other things, but he often attended company meetings for Victoria's Secret and helped them scout models and attended most of the big fashion shows that they had. In 1996, Epstein changed the name of his consulting company and moved offshore to the U.S. Virgin Islands, where he was able to save 90% on his corporate taxes there. Uh, But it was still technically in the U.S., so he could take advantage of the banking system we have here. If you listen to my last episode, you already know that it is one of many, many ways in which the rich people don't pay taxes. And what you can do is you can move your things offshore. I think the number I heard uh, at one point was $800,000 is basically what it costs for you to set up shop offshore somewhere out of the United States, somewhere where you can do your business from there and avoid all those taxes. So if you stand to save more than 800 grand, it's worth your while just to go out and um, run you know, some of your accounts or whatever from technically outside of the US. And finally, over the next 20 years, he spent most of his time consulting, and investing and traveling all over the world and rubbing elbows with super rich people and lots of powerful government figures. And part of the reason that we don't know a lot about that is what consulting is in general. You can be a consultant and do as much or as little as you want. So it's a really good way. I don't want to say that anyone who is a consultant is is doing anything immoral or wrong. I'm not trying to imply that at all. However, because of how nonspecific the title of consultant is, You can be, like he was with Leslie Wexner, you can be somebody's right-hand man, or you may just be collecting a check and only show up to one meeting a year. One day I'm probably going to do an episode on how people use charities to basically hide a lot of money and they basically use their charities as a, a tax shelter. And one of the things that you can do with those is you can bring people into your charity as a consultant and you can pay them whatever amount of money you want to And they may or may not be doing all that much for you. And that's one of the ways also that former government officials can kind of collect on uh, the way that they've helped certain companies and the way they've helped certain industries is once they retire, they get to sit on as a consultant and they get to collect a check. And again, they're not really required to do anything to collect that check. So basically what you're doing with a consultant is you're paying them for their advice and you're paying them just to kind of be a part of the meetings. And they may give a lot of advice, they may not give any, but if, if you've hired them, you know, you're know you paying them for that purpose. You know, So you look at Epstein here and all of this consulting that he did for all of these rich people and all of these foreign governments and, and defense contractors and all of this stuff, there's absolutely no way to tell how much work he was actually doing. But bringing in a consultant or being a consultant is one of the best ways that you can really... Pay somebody as much money as you want to without really having to tell anybody what you're paying them that money for. Uh, we also see the same thing uh, in speaking fees. You you look at how much money former presidents make just in speaking fees, and a lot of that is the same way. I think um, I think one time Jason Stapleton referred to it as a soft bribe. I think is what he called it, which is basically where you know you're not going to directly bribe the president, but you can show. The sitting president, hey, the last president was very good to us and helped us out a lot, and now we're bringing him over here, and we're paying him a million dollars to give a speech at our company. And now he's making a million dollars because we had a good relationship from his previous post at the presidency. So maybe if you, Mr. President, want to help us out as well, maybe we could do the same thing for you. Back to Epstein. That's all the information I really have as far as his business is concerned, but here's kind of where the criminal activity starts to come in. Uh, In March 2005, a woman contacts the Palm Beach Police Department and says that her 14-year-old stepdaughter was taken to Epstein's mansion by another girl, and she was paid $300 to strip down and give him a massage. They start an undercover investigation of him that lasted about 13 months, and eventually the FBI gets involved and they searched his home. They found hidden cameras, lots of photos of underage girls in the house, many of them under the age of 16, and uh, at least one of them as young as the age of 14. Uh, Some of the girls in these photos were interviewed by the police during their investigation. One employee of Epstein said that Epstein would receive massages three times per day. And it was also found out later that when Epstein and the people that he was around would refer to these massages, they were often referring to sex. So that was the way, you know, if they said they were going to go get a massage, obviously you can tell what they really meant there and what was going on. The FBI finally came out with a list of 34 underage girls uh, later in the, um, I think it was a non-disclosure agreement or non-prosecuting agreement. It was raised to 40 underage girls. There was an expose by Julie Brown in the Miami Herald that identified about 80 victims, and she was able to locate about 50 of them. And there was a quote from the police chief where he basically said, look, there's there's 50 some girls and only one man and all the girls are telling basically the same story with a lot of the same details. Some of those details said he had 12-year-old triplets flown in from France for his birthday, and they also recruited girls from South America, from former Soviet Union countries, from Europe, and that a modeling agency was also supplying him with girls. Now, despite all this evidence, the state prosecutor was only going to charge him with one count of aggravated assault with no intent to commit a felony. The police chief is obviously upset by this and accused the prosecutor of being too lenient. The case finally went before a grand jury where they only presented evidence from two victims, and the jury gave him a single charge of felony solicitation of prostitution, to which Epstein pleaded not guilty. While all of this is going on, that's with the state of Florida, during this time the FBI also had a separate investigation happening. Uh, In June of 07, they completed a 53-page indictment, but that was never presented to a jury. Uh, Alexander Acosta, who was, at the time, he was a U.S. attorney for the Southern District of Florida. Later on, he became Donald Trump's Secretary of Labor. You've probably heard of him. And he agreed to a very lenient plea deal that granted immunity to Epstein, uh, immunity to four named co-conspirators, and immunity to any unnamed potential co-conspirators. So not only does Epstein get immunity in that case, not only does whoever the four people who were working with him in this trafficking, not only were they granted immunity, but the, the door was left open to give immunity to anybody else whose name might come up later in the same case and same investigation. Here's a part I pulled from straight from Wikipedia. According to the Miami Herald, the non-prosecution agreement was essentially shut down an ongoing FBI probe into whether there were more victims and other powerful people who took part in Epstein's sex crimes. At the time, this halted the investigation and sealed the indictment. The Miami Herald said Acosta agreed, despite a federal law to the contrary, that the deal would be kept from the victims. So there's a federal law that says something along the lines of if you are a victim of sexual assault and the aggressor, um, the suspect, is tried in court, you have a right to know what he's pleading, where he's going to be kept in prison, and when he's going to be released. And if a plea deal is reached, you have the right to know the key details of that plea agreement. So basically, the idea behind this is just that You know, if you were the victim of an assault, if you were the victim of a rape, you have every right to know where this guy is if he's in jail and when he gets out of jail to know if he's out on the streets again. And you have the right to know if he cut a deal with the prosecutor, what the details of that deal were. When they pressed Acosta on this later, he said the people above him told him that Epstein, quote, belonged to intelligence, was above his pay grade and to leave it alone. So that was the end of that big case. Acosta was told not to worry about it. He was obviously involved in something much bigger than just the case at hand. And it was something that intelligent agencies were already part of one way or another. There's a cricket in here and hopefully it is not bleeding over onto the microphone. If it is, sorry for that. Um, So that was it. That's the end of the big case. And uh, I don't see it right here in front of me, but I believe I read that if he had been properly charged with those counts, he'd be looking at something like 45 years in prison. But instead, he gets a slap on the wrist, he gets immunity, he gets immunity for anybody else who might have been working for him, and we're just going to drop it. The other case was handled by the state of Florida. They charged him for procuring a prostitute under the age of 18. He got 18 months in prison. Most convicted sex offenders in Florida are sent to a state prison, but he was sent to a private wing of the Palm Beach County Stockade. Uh, After three and a half months, he was allowed to leave the jail on work release for up to 12 hours a day, six days a week. Now, the sheriff's policies state that no one is eligible for that privilege. No one's eligible to go to work release until they have 10 months or less remaining on their sentence or he was at three and a half months, so he had like 15 months left. Also, sex offenders are not eligible for work leave at all. However, it was granted to Epstein for whatever reason. Uh, they also note here that he was allowed to come and go outside of the regular hours designated for release. So, I'm assuming they had some sort of curfew. You probably weren't allowed to leave, you know, until six, seven, eight o'clock in the morning, and you had to be back before dark, you know, whatever time that might be seven eight nine o'clock in the evening so that you're back in your prison cell at that time and you're not out roaming free in the night somewhere but it seems here that Epstein was allowed to come and go as he pleased and was not held to those designated hours he had a cell there where his door was left unlocked and he was free to go to the attorney room where they installed a television for him and then he was later moved to the stockade's infirmary, which didn't even keep any staff in that area at the time he was moved. So either he was moved to an area where he was completely left alone, or the stockade made arrangements to move employees over to that area just so that the one prisoner would have the freedom of movement to do what he wanted over there. Now, what is he doing during this work release? Well, he's working for a nonprofit. Foundation that he founded right before he entered jail. And this nonprofit organization was dissolved as soon as he left jail. So, a lot of the records involving what happened and what he was doing um, were probably just destroyed and thrown out as the company was dissolved. Now, that nonprofit organization paid the sheriff's office $128,000 to pay the cost of the extra services provided during his work release. His office was monitored by, uh, quote, permit deputies, whose overtime was paid for by Epstein. Wikipedia says they were required to wear suits, and they checked in, welcomed guests, that's what they called anyone who saw him, quote, welcome guests, at the, quote, front desk. So he was essentially hiring people that worked at that stockade, he was essentially hiring them to be his secretaries and to work for him at his company, and he was paying all of their overtime. Uh, Those guest logs, where they signed everybody in at the front desk, were destroyed per the department's record retention rules. So whoever came to visit him during this time, also all of that information is gone. He was also allowed to use his own driver to drive him between jail and his office and other appointments during all of this time. So, all in all, this is a pretty chill sentence to serve for soliciting an underage prostitute. Seemed almost as if it was business as usual, and the only thing really that was different was that he was, uh, you know, sleeping in the stockade every night instead of going home and sleeping in his bed. After almost 13 months, he was released from jail to go on a year of probation and house arrest. During house arrest, He was permitted to travel for business, he could travel to his homes in Manhattan and the U.S. Virgin Islands, and he was also allowed to go on long shopping trips and to walk around Palm Beach for exercise. After that, he's required to register as a sex offender in New York. Now, he was a level three offender, which meant he was at a high risk to repeat the offense. A Manhattan district attorney actually tried to get him downgraded to a level one sex offender, which was, uh, which means basically just that he's a low risk. And, um, the judge did not let that happen. And the judge also had some words for the district attorney for even trying that because along the way here, there are some people who were in on this and there were some people who obviously weren't. And plenty of the people who weren't in on any of this thought that it was ridiculous that this guy seemed to be pretty much trafficking young girls out in the open and had no regrets and nobody really seemed to care. So as a level three sex offender, he was required to check into the NYPD every 90 days. So once every three months, he had to make sure that he went to New York, he went to the police department and checked in with whatever compliance officer he was supposed to meet with so that he could keep them updated on his whereabouts and his activities and everything that he was doing. Non-compliance here is a felony. So if he does not do that, He is guilty of a felony where he could be put right back in prison. However, they never, ever enforced the check-ins. So from 2010, when he was released, until he died a couple months ago in 2019, he was technically committing a felony, but nobody seemed to care. So he's going on business as usual. There are also several civil cases against him, and these are where a lot of celebrity contacts have been named and attached to Epstein. Epstein was able to settle most or all of these out of court, so he was able to make sure that these girls were paid off and that these things were settled before any of those details really came into public light or anything like that. I'm not going to read any specific cases, but the crazy thing here is most of them were very, very similar. Most of these girls are telling very similar stories. One case said a document filed in court alleges that Epstein ran a sexual abuse ring and lent underage girls to prominent American politicians, powerful business executives, foreign presidents, a well-known prime minister, and other world leaders. One girl also mentioned that the FBI might be involved in a cover-up. So basically all of these girls told a very similar story. They said that he would pay them, uh, as young teenage girls, he would pay them to come in and to take their clothes off and to give him a massage. And we, of course, found out earlier what a massage usually amounted to. And that then he would offer to pay them to go out and to get other girls and to bring them in. So then he would get those girls. And and so basically what it amounted to was a pyramid scheme. And he was just growing his network of women that he could traffic. There were also some women who came forward and said that they were held against their will with him and um, that he kept them as a slave of sorts and that they were passed around and sent on planes and sent on trips and stuff like that to be given to other world leaders and rich and powerful people to be abused. And several of them mentioned different people in uh, different famous people ...that they were in contact with or that they were around during these things. Uh, A couple of these people, uh, Alan Dershowitz, he was a high-profile lawyer and a commentator. Prince Andrew, who was the son of Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip. Bill Richardson was the former governor of New Mexico. Bill Mitchell was the former Senate Majority Leader. There was an unnamed prince, an unnamed foreign president, a well-known prime minister, an unknown hotel chain owner from France... Now, I listened to two podcasts here. I think it was in uh, the We Are Libertarians podcast. They did a really good job. I'll link to them in the show notes. Just jumped to minute 20. There's a lot of banter at the beginning of that. Um, but I can't remember if it was their podcast or the Brohio podcast on this topic, where they mentioned that there was also an unnamed former president. And I don't see anything uh, listed in this, the notes that I've looked through, but. Uh, So maybe they saw unknown foreign president and it was a a typo or they misread it or something like that. But it is possible that there was also, you know, another U.S. president involved here. Now, of course, you've also heard that Donald Trump was named in some of these that a, a woman claimed that he and Epstein assaulted her at several parties at Epstein's home. Um, Now, we know Donald Trump and Jeffrey Epstein were close friends for a while. There was a quote from 2002 where Trump said that Epstein liked beautiful women as much as he did, and many of them were on the younger side. I'll tell you that much. At some point afterward, they had a falling out, and Epstein was banned from Trump's resort, uh, Mar-a-Lago. And Donald Trump was asked about him, and Donald Trump said that he was not a fan of Epstein. So, it's hard to say kind of what happened there. The same thing happened somewhere along the way with Leslie Wexner that Wexner said you know, he hadn't spoken to uh, Epstein in 10 or 15 years. And it, and it seems like it may have been this first uh, solicitation case where it looked like he was really into some dirty stuff that a lot of these people really fled away from him and didn't want anything to do with him because of obviously the, the reputation that he brings and the stuff that he was into. Um, now, Bill Clinton had also flown with him numerous times now they said that bill clinton had visited epstein's private island with him Um, there are rumors that secret service was not allowed on epstein's plane with bill clinton and one of the girls in one of the suits said that bill clinton was at the island with them, and that while he didn't assault her he didn't have anything to do with the girls as far as she knew that sometimes Secret Service was with him on the island, and at other times Secret Service was sent away so that he could be alone on the island. Secret Service said, on the other hand, that they don't have anything in their logs to show that they were ever away from Bill Clinton at any time, and that I don't. I think they say also said that they don't have any record of them going to his private island at all. So um, who knows? But uh, many other girls. Almost told the exact same story, and many of them said that his girlfriend, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, helped him in all of this. And one girl said that Epstein and Maxwell, that their entire lives just revolved around sex. And that's all they ever talked about, that's all they ever thought about, and that's all that they ever used a lot of these people for. So finally, as you've no doubt heard, in early July of 2019, he was arrested at a New Jersey airport. The FBI forces open the door into his townhouse, and they found evidence of sex trafficking. I'm not 100% sure what they mean by that, but given the um, everything else we know about him, I think we can take their word for it. And hundreds, if not thousands, of sexually suggestive photos of fully or partially nude females. Some of those were confirmed to be underage females. In a locked safe, they found CDs with photos on them, $70,000 cash, 48 diamonds, and a fraudulent Austrian passport that expired in 1987. But it had Epstein's photo with a fake name. Stamps show that it was used to enter France, Spain, the UK, and Saudi Arabia during the 1980s. Now, when they're questioned about this, his lawyer said that he had been advised to acquire the passport because he was a well-known Jew, and he could have been kidnapped while traveling abroad. So, my understanding of this, the way that I'm... Guessing that the, the case that I'm guessing that they're making is that he is a famous rich guy and he is traveling to, you know, some Arab countries and he's a Jew. And so there is apparently what they're saying is there is a danger that he could be kidnapped by any of these terrorist groups or pirate groups or anything like this. And they could hold him hostage and hold him for ransom and try to shake him down for as much money as they could possibly get. And by him having this fake passport, he can show them, like, look, you know, no, I'm not Jeffrey Epstein. I'm John Smith, and I just look like the guy, but this is my passport, and, you know, I'm a nobody. I don't have any money or anything like that, so you've got the wrong guy. And that was supposed to protect him from that is what I'm guessing that they're trying to say there. I don't know if that's common practice, but, uh, you know, it it sounds plausible enough. Um, They applied for bail when he was arrested, but and I I can't remember, it was $600,000, $6 million. It was a lot of bail. Uh, that they tried to get, but the judge said he was a flight risk and would not grant it. Now, Jeffrey Epstein is obviously a man who's not used to having to spend his time in prison, so this may have been a little bit odd for him. On July 23rd, he was found injured and semi-conscious in his cell at 1.30 a.m. with wounds to his neck that appeared to be the result of either a suicide attempt or an assault. Um, His cellmate uh, was, I didn't write down the guy's name, but he was a New York cop, Who's been charged with four counts of murder and a bunch of, uh, I think, drug trafficking and that kind of stuff. It just sounds to me like he was, you know, a cop gone bad, something like that. But he said that he and Epstein got along fine and he had no idea what had happened to Epstein. Now, this is odd because there's no evidence, there's no rumors or anything that suggests that there was ever a problem between this former cop and Jeffrey Epstein. You know, you would probably know if they didn't like each other, if they had gotten into a fight or anything like that. And so it, all things would seem like they really did get along and they really were fine sharing a cell together. However, at the same time, if you're talking about somebody who's already looking at probably spending the rest of their life in prison, it would seem that they might also be able to be bought off and into maybe performing another attack or something like that. So we don't know for sure. Um, Now, and Jeffrey Epstein also said that he didn't remember what happened, so it's really tough to say what was going on here. NBC News had comments from four sources. Two said he may have tried to hang himself. Another said the injuries were not serious and it may have been staged. And a fourth source said that they hadn't ruled out an attack by his cellmate. After that, he was placed on suicide watch where he was in an observation unit where the lights were left on and he didn't have access to anything he could harm himself with. So uh, when you're on suicide watch, basically what they do is they put you in a uh, in a gown that's basically made of paper, almost like something that you would wear, you know, getting a doctor's exam or something like that. So that if you were to, to try to hang yourself or anything like that, the paper is just going to rip right up. And um, there is nothing on the walls. There's nothing on the bed that you would be able to tie yourself to. And you are constantly being observed 24 hours a day. Somebody's always able to see in your cell and able to see what you're doing. And there's nothing. I don't even think there's a doorknob on the inside of the door that you would be able to tie anything to to hang yourself. And there's, there's no sharp objects, nothing you'd be able to bludgeon yourself with, anything like that. So for six days, he was on suicide watch, and that was where he was. After six days, he was given a psych evaluation and he was pulled from Suicide Watch and he was put in a cell where he was supposed to have a cellmate. That was one of the rules was that he was to have a cellmate and he was to be checked on every 30 minutes. So at least every half an hour, a guard is walking by his cell, looking in there to make sure that uh, he's uh, you know alive and behaving himself, basically. Now, here's where the timeline gets pretty crazy. On August 8th, he signed his last will and testament in the presence of his two of his attorneys. It's quite obvious to everybody. I'm sure he probably had a will before just because of how much he traveled and, and how much money he was worth and all of this. But at this time, he's in prison. There has either been an attempt on his life or he's attempted his to take his own life. And there is obviously a high risk here that he could pass away. And so they made sure that his will was in order and that everything was taken care of. That was on August 8th. On August 9th, new documents were released with more evidence, more pictures, and more details of Epstein's trafficking, and it implicated several people who had done business with him, many of whom I had listed earlier. I think that this may have been the first time that that former New Mexico governor and that former Senate majority leader, uh, that their names were involved in all of this. So it's starting to really come out that there are a lot of powerful people involved in this. So August 8th. He signs his will again. August 9th, these new documents come out. And then on the morning of August 10th at 6.30 in the morning, he was found unresponsive in cardiac arrest in his cell at 6.30. He was rushed to the hospital where he was pronounced dead. Believe it or not, uh, it was either 4chan or 8chan that that announced this news, something like 43 minutes before any of the major news channels were able to get it. And uh, they also had pictures of him being wheeled out of there. Now, of course, it wasn't long until everybody started asking questions about how was this possible? How did somebody who was such a risk, how did something still happen to them? We found out a little bit later that uh, the two guards on duty, they were on mandatory overtime and they had already worked 80 hours that week. At least one of them was a guard on mandatory overtime. The other was not actually a guard, but they had either volunteered or they were compelled to work as a guard. So... Because these federal prisons are so poorly staffed and so poorly managed, mandatory overtime is, is very common. It, it happens to almost everybody in these types of situations, and they're so understaffed that sometimes teachers, nurses, and secretaries are required to fill in on guard duty as needed. So you may not even be trained or qualified to be a guard, but if they need somebody to be walking around checking cells, then guess what? you might just be the secretary, but it's going to be you. That may not be what you signed up for, but that's what you're going to have to do. So these particular instances, they were not breaking any rules, so to speak, but they do show a lot of evidence of what a broken system. This is Uh, Epstein was supposed to be checked on every 30 minutes, but instead we find out that he was put in a room alone, which was against policy and that he hadn't been checked on in several hours. Now, On Jason Stapleton's podcast, one of the things that he mentioned was he was a former prison guard for a little while. And one of the things that they would do is they knew how long it was supposed to take them to walk the cell block. And so what they would do is they would go to the, the guard post or whatever it's called, and they would sit in their chair. And then every half hour, they were supposed to walk the cell block and they were supposed to walk to the end and they were supposed to walk back. And at the end of that, they would push a button that was on the desk or on the wall at their post. And that was supposed to serve as kind of a log that, you know, the rounds have been completed at this time. Well, if you are a government employee who may or may not be all that interested in doing your job well in the first place, uh, if you are on 80 hours of mandatory overtime and it's the night shift and everybody seems to be asleep and all you want to do is rest and sleep as well, then it's quite likely that you may actually just sit in your chair And after half an hour, you know, your timer on your watch or your phone goes off and you stand up and you walk to the other side of the room and you push the button and you sit back down in your chair. And he said that was pretty common. And uh, it it makes sense. If you've ever worked night shift before, you probably know how difficult it is just to motivate yourself to do your job when you've been up all night like that. Uh, Both cameras that were supposed to cover the entrance to his cell were broken. Nobody seems to know why they were broken, how they were broken, whether or not anybody had plans to get them fixed. The autopsy results showed that his bones, the bones in his neck may have been broken by suicide or by strangulation. They don't really know for sure because of his age. So a lot of reports came out after that, that those bones could only be broken if you were strangled. But then some other people came back and said, well, he was 66 years old. So a lot of those bones may have been weaker than what they would be in a younger, healthier adult. So that doesn't really tell us much. The autopsy didn't have much else to say with it. And, of course, all these documents were just released the the day before, just hours before, really. And Epstein had knowledge that could implicate dozens or maybe even hundreds of other powerful people in his trafficking crimes. So, word comes out that he is dead. And, of course, the conspiracy theories online are, are going crazy. I mean, everybody pretty much agreed that something is fishy here. Something is not right. And you've got people on the left screaming that this is Donald Trump's fault. And you got people on the right saying that this was uh, the Clintons' fault and that the Clintons did this. And even all of us in the middle are going, you know, something is not right here. There is something terribly, terribly wrong with the fact that this this was allowed to happen. Hashtag Clinton body count and hashtag Trump body count were trending on Twitter Donald Trump even retweeted something that suggested the Clintons were involved and of course uh, everybody was upset about that but it's Donald Trump so what are you going to do? And um I mean this was it, you know, nobody really knew what to say, but the the media of course was frustrated with all of us talking about some possible conspiracy because they want to have the utmost faith in the system and they want everyone to think that this was just purely an accident when most of us didn't buy into that. But What really happened here? Well, I told you at the beginning of this episode, I'm not going to give you a conspiracy theory. I don't know. This isn't a conspiracy theory podcast, and I honestly can't tell you what happened. There are a lot of things that could have happened. He had information on a lot of people, and it would make a lot of sense to most of us that uh, this would be almost like a movie, you know, where the the big, powerful bad guy doesn't want to get his name dragged through the mud, so he send somebody in to, to take out the last witness. It's also possible that Jeffrey Epstein was a manager for this ring and that he was the guy who was out front and he was the face of it and that he was being paid handsomely so that he could take the fall. And, and if he ever did take the fall, well at least he had gotten to live a luxurious exorbitant life up to that point. And you know, whatever happened to him at that point was, was over. Um, You know, maybe it is possible that uh, a former president of one country or another had to have him stopped so that they couldn't be implicated in any of these crimes. You know, if you listen to my episode, I believe it was episode three on Julian Assange, you know that the CIA and British intelligence were drugging Julian Assange and they were basically melting his brain down and he was struggling to keep reality straight from fantasy and he didn't know what was going on anymore. And so is it possible that they did the same thing to Epstein? Is that how he was able to be choked before and not remember what happened? Did he just get into a fight with his cellmate? Who knows? But in my opinion, the most likely explanation is the most boring one. And that is you had a very rich man who was used to going wherever he wanted. He had mansions, uh, multiple mansions all up and down the East Coast. He had his own private island. He was able to live in Florida. He was able to live in New York. And he had managed to run this trafficking business and he got by with it. For at least 20 years he did this. And now, finally, his luck has run out. His powerful friendships have run out and now he is going to have to pay the price for what he's done. And his reputation is going to take that hit. His finances are going to take that hit. He's looking at spending the rest of his life in jail and maybe he just doesn't want to do it. Whether he can't take the guilt Or whether he just can't take the idea of having to actually spend time in a prison. I think there's a very good chance that he just ended his own life. Now, the biggest concern that I have here is why was this allowed to happen? This guy was in a federal prison. He had guards that were assigned to him that were supposed to be checking on him every half hour. He was known to be uh, some sort of suicide risk, and really they should have been watching him 24 hours a day. He was supposed to be in a cell with another person who, in the instance that he did try to hang himself or something like that, they could have yelled for help. They could have tried to stop him. They could have helped to make sure that justice is served, not only for Jeffrey Epstein, but for everyone who worked with him and, and all of the girls who were victims of this. But instead, he was put in a corrupt overburdened, understaffed system where they weren't able to protect his life. They weren't able to protect the justice that was needed in this. As we've said before, the federal government has the ability to print money out of thin air. They have the ability to tax us for whatever they want to do. They have a monopoly on the criminal justice system and on the prison system where all these prisons are either run directly by them or they are private prisons who are contracted directly through them. But you don't throw anybody into a jail without Uncle Sam's stamp of approval on it. So how could they oversee this when all of us knew the minute that he went into jail that something fishy was going to happen to him? And all of us, frankly, were shocked the first time he came up hurt and he managed to live through it. And all of us said, well, somebody messed up there. Somebody wanted him dead and they didn't get it done on the first try. They better watch him because it's going to happen again. And sure enough, what happened? He ended up dead. They had every opportunity to watch him and to keep him safe. He was surrounded by prison walls, by prison guards, by cameras, by other inmates, by metal detectors where no weapons should have been able to be Brought in or out, they had every opportunity to keep him away from drugs and violence by locking him away safely with other people who were guilty of some of the same things. Maj Torre, who is the founder of Black Guns Matter and who is uh, running for city council right now in Philadelphia, he was the first one who I saw to make the comment Look, the government can't protect one guy. They can't keep one guy alive when they knew he was at a risk. How do you expect them to take away everybody else's guns and to protect all of us? You can't even keep a guy in a padded room safe. How are you going to keep me safe at my house? So as you think about this, as you talk about this Jeffrey Epstein conspiracy, scandal, tragedy, whatever you want to call it, don't just focus on him. Don't just focus on the, the tragedy of what happened in his case, but to focus on the ineptitude of an organization that had every possible warning and every possible chance to get this right and they still couldn't do it. Do you want them in charge of your health care? Do you want them in charge of the safety of your home? Do you want them in charge of your education? Do you want them in charge of the way that you travel? Because they had a softball lobbed to them in the form of a multimillionaire who ran a sex trafficking ring. And Instead of doing the right thing, they let justice die alone in a prison cell, unchecked for hours, in an understaffed, overfilled prison. And now all of these victims... And all of these multimillionaires who are attached to this are no longer under investigation. And that is the biggest tragedy of all of this. Hey, I want to thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I was going to talk about guns, but then I got to looking at the time and realized there was no way we were going to be able to cover both of these topics. So I'm going to shoot to um, release that a little bit later. Please check out my interview on Call Me Ignorant. You can search that on YouTube, Call Me Ignorant, or search Call Me Ignorant on Podbean. And you will find it there. You can listen to that. We had a great time on that interview. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at GarrettAgain. You can follow me on Facebook.com slash GarrettAgain. And you can email me at Again at PM.me. If you could do me a favor, feel free to go and give me uh, some reviews on iTunes. Four and five stars are highly appreciated. already seen that a couple of commies have dropped a one-star review on there. So, hey, at least they're listening, right? But... Thank you so much for listening. The absolute best thing that you can do is to share this with your friends and let other people know that this is your favorite political podcast out there. Thank you so much. Can't wait to talk to you again in a week or two. Until then, stay kind, stay vigilant, stay free. Get out of here.